This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 215. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am not your host, Riley Bowman. I know this is kind of a shock for you regular listeners. We are on episode 215, and this is the first time ever that Riley Bowman is not on the podcast. I'll talk about that more in just a minute, but uh, this is Jacob Paulson. I am joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Mr. Jacob Paulson. Thank you for uh, having me on today. Now, some wild news here, and listeners might be surprised to hear this, but Matthew, you and I are actually going to meet in person for the first time later this week. Yeah, and it's been like, how long have we known each other? Like two and a half, three years or so? Jeez, ah, I don't know, 2015-ish, <laughs> mid-2015 maybe? I see you every morning like on uh, our Google Chats, but I've not, <laughs> never met you face-to-face yet. So. That's pretty crazy stuff right there. So anyway, it's going to be going to be exciting. We'll talk more about what's coming up this weekend. A lot of events going on uh, all across the nation, and one particularly the big one in Kentucky, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Uh, first and foremost, today is our usual news episode, uh, except for that Riley's not on it. Other than that, it's very usual. So we're going to have our uh, case of the week from attorney Andrew Brinka here in a minute. Uh, before we do that, though, our first sponsor for today, our episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Are any of you out there like, man, we are so tired of hearing about Guardian Nation. You know, I bet you if you're a member of Guardian Nation, you're not tired of hearing about Guardian Nation because you know how awesome it is and you understand the value of the community. And the more people that join, the more valuable that is. So if you're not a member yet, get on that, www.guardiannation.com. Super awesomeness. And we just added a bunch of new training videos to the library there. So members, make sure you're taking advantage of all your benefits. Get in the library there, watch those videos as often as you can, and work on your skills. And today's episode is also brought to you by the Pig Loop Range Kit. More to come on that a little bit later. All right, Matthew, so Andrew Brink, uh, he's got a pretty good case of the week for us. But before we play that back, I suppose we should finally tell listeners where Mr. Bowman is. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you break the news to him. 215 episodes, and I don't think Riley ever foresaw a day when he would not be on this podcast. But good news is he will be back. And for those of you who, if this episode goes by and you're just completely missing his guts, you're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I can't live without Riley Bowman. Send an email. He would love to hear that. Send it to podcast at concealedcarry.com. You'll make him feel warm and fuzzy. Now, if any of you are like, you know what, this was so refreshing to not have Riley Bowman on on the podcast. (laughs) Jacob and Matthew are plenty sufficient. We do not need Riley ever again. You can send that email also. You can put a (laughs) smiley face at the end if you want it to not feel so harsh. It'll be perfectly fine, and we'll let Riley know. <laughs> Probably not, not going to be the case. <laughs> okay, so with that, we're going to play back Andrew Breaker's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week, and then we're going to tell you a little bit about some things going on this weekend, and then we're going to get into our news stories. So hold tight. Here comes the Case of the Week. Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This case of the week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's case is State v. Basting out of the Minnesota Supreme Court. In it, the defendant Basting is held to a higher use-of-force legal standard because of his exceptional fighting skill and training, 
and a legal finding is made at trial that although his first punch might have been lawful self-defense, his second punch was felony assault punishable by up to seven years in prison. The facts here are that the defendant found himself in a confrontation with his ex-wife's new boyfriend, in the course of which the boyfriend punched the defendant. Unfortunately for the boyfriend, the defendant had a 20-year history as an amateur and then professional boxer, and he still trained regularly. The defendant responded to the boyfriend's punch with two left hooks to the boyfriend's face, breaking his nose. The defendant was charged with first-degree assault, a felony punishable by up to 20 years in prison, as well as being charged with various lesser-included charges, such as second- and third-degree assault. The defendant waived his right to a jury and chose a bench trial. That's a trial in which the judge plays the role of the finder of fact that's normally played by the jury. The trial judge found the defendant guilty of second-degree assault, still a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison. The interesting issue here is that the defendant only used his fist, and second-degree assault requires as an element that the accused used a deadly weapon. To achieve this conviction, the trial judge made an explicit finding of fact that the defendant's fists qualified as deadly weapons as a matter of law given his exceptional fighting skill and training as a boxer. The defendant also argued at trial that his two punches were acts of lawful self-defense in response to the boyfriend first punching him. He also suggested that he reacted automatically with two left hooks because that's how he has been trained to react instinctively when threatened. The trial court noted that self-defense only allows for the use of reasonable defensive force, and that in this case, given the defendant's exceptional fighting skill, his first punch would have been sufficient to stop the boyfriend. And that makes the second punch excessive force and thus unlawful. The trial court also noted that despite the defendant's training and quote-unquote boxer instincts, the law still requires that he consciously choose a response appropriate for any particular defensive scenario. In other words, the fact that some defensive behavior has been made an instinctive response by training does not mean it's necessarily lawful. So, to be clear, there were two key findings at trial. One, that the defendant's fists were deadly weapons as a matter of law because of his exceptional fighting skill and training. And two, that the second punch thrown immediately after the first punch was excessive force and beyond the scope of lawful self-defense. The defendant appealed his felony conviction to the Minnesota Court of Appeals, which affirmed that conviction. And he then appealed to the Minnesota Supreme Court, which is where we find ourselves in this case of the week. The Minnesota Supreme Court decided that it was legal error for the trial court to find that the defendant's fists were deadly weapons, and the specific reason it was legal error is interesting. They decided it was legal error because the trial court based this finding solely on the defendant's exceptional fighting skill and training. The Supreme Court noted that it is possible for the defendant's fists to be found to be deadly weapons and thus sufficient to support a second-degree assault conviction, but that finding would have to be based on how they were actually used in the fight and not based merely on the defendant's skill and training. In other words, if the trial court had simply changed the reasons for finding the fist to be deadly weapons, that would have been totally fine with the Minnesota Supreme Court. Having decided that the trial court was incorrect in the manner in which they found the defendant's fist to be deadly weapons, it was now necessary to vacate the second-degree assault conviction, which requires that a deadly weapon was used.
Now, the Supreme Court could have then remanded the case for a new trial, consistent with their ruling here. But if they did so, the case would almost certainly have gone back to the same trial judge, who now, of course, has been instructed by the Supreme Court on the proper way to determine the defendant's fists were deadly weapons, and the outcome would almost certainly have been that finding again, but now on the proper basis, and another second-degree assault conviction. So instead of remanding for a new trial, the Supreme Court decided to mitigate the defendant's conviction from second-degree assault to third-degree assault. Note that this is still a felony, subject to a five-year imprisonment, but it doesn't require the use of a deadly weapon. Importantly, this mitigation to second-degree assault also necessarily means that the Supreme Court accepted the trial court's finding that the defendant's first punch might well have been lawful self-defense, but that the second punch, thrown, quote-unquote, instinctively, immediately after the first punch, constituted excessive force that could not be justified as self-defense. We know this has to be the finding because if the second punch were justified as self-defense, the defendant would be guilty of no crime at all, much less felony assault. So the take-home lessons for all of us, one, hardwired instinctual self-defense techniques used as a default response to an attack can end up getting you convicted of a felony if they're determined to be inappropriate to the actual circumstances you are facing. Self-defense is a thinking man's game, folks, if you're going to stay within the bounds of the law. The second take-home lesson is if you're wondering if your exceptional self-defense training and skill, quote, can be used against you in court, close quote, in the sense that you'll be held to a higher legal standard than might be the case for a less trained and skilled person? The answer is yes. As always, I urge you to read the case itself, and you can find that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash basting. That's B-A-S-T-I-N-G. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. Don't forget, as a listener to this podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything we do at lawselfdefense.com, including our books, DVDs, online classes, live classes, and more. Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry or use the discount code CCP at checkout. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. All right. Well, there you have it. There's the case of the week from Mr. Branca. We appreciate so much him preparing those for us every single week. He's very consistent. He always gets them to us on time because he's just organized and awesome like that. And, wow, that was pretty intense, uh, Matthew. I mean, I think Andrew summarized it pretty well, but really kind of two big key points there. One is this idea that a person's training and expertise uh, does change, you know, what, what, what level or standards which they're held in a courtroom, right? In this case, this guy's, you know, boxer-like skills, uh, you know, mean, meant that he was held to a higher you know, level of care than someone who, you know, just punches some people in the face. Yeah. And I think that goes, and I get that question. I'm sure you do too in, in classes sometimes, especially in advanced classes from, from students like, well, if I'm taking advanced classes in, in far, as far as a defensive handgun, am I going to be held to a different standard if I end up using deadly force, you know? And, um, and absolutely, you know, it's not a bad thing that you're held to a higher standard, but, but it is something that you need to take into consideration because, 
um, that training that you've had, either the training that you have or haven't had is going to affect um, your standard of, of proof or your burden of proof in court and how the jury, um, and in this case, you know, he, he, he did a bench, bench trial where the judge was the jury, but whoever's judge, you know, judging your, your, um, your actions, they're going to take into consideration your training, your level of experience. And, um, and if you have a higher level of training and you're doing something completely, you know, out of line, um, it's, it's going to show up a lot more than somebody who's, you know, never picked up a gun before. They just happen to pick it up in the, you know, to defend themselves in their home and, and shot. Um, so, so I think that's important. It, it, you know, it reiterates or undergirds like what, what I tell students all the time in, in classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I've been retained as an expert witness on trial for no other reason than to tell uh, a jury what a student was taught or what we normally teach students you know, who get permits or something like that. So, you know, what you've been trained to do is relevant and does come up. Now, I, I, will, I will quickly add this thought, and that is that that is not a good reason to not get additional training, right? To, to say, well, I, I'm not going to get any additional training because I don't want to be held to a higher standard <laughs> of care. You know, like that's, that's a ridiculous idea. I mean, because we have to remember that the, we, we get the training to help us survive the encounter and win the gunfight. And then after that, we, we go into the second battle, which is the legal one. But you can't have the second battle if you don't survive the gunfight. So don't, don't use that as a reason not to get training. And then the second lesson from this case of the week really had everything to do with this idea of instinct or automatic response. Right, Matthew? Yeah. And so uh, I think this, this is uh, important to note how you're training. Um, I know and I'm not going to dissect a specific case and say, you know, because everything, there's so many particulars and, and, and factors that go into saying if something's justified or not. But in this case, um, he's a boxer. He, they, they, they uh, the judge um, or the court agreed that, you know, the initial punch was justified, but they're saying, you know, the second punch um, was not. And that's why um, he was convicted. However, his argument against that was, well, the way I train because I have this higher level of training is I, I throw two, you know, right, or left crosses or hooks or jabs or whatever it was. And that's my instinctual response. Um, and it's, it's similar to the response that I hear from people that, you know, well, I train, you know, two to the chest, one to the head, or, or that's how I train all the time. And, um, and, and I'm not, and like I said, I'm not saying that that use of force, if you use uh, use of force and you end up uh, uh, shooting one, to the chest and one in the head, it, it's not justified. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to throw that um, that out there as justification for what you've done without any other justification as to why you shot this person in the head um, could be problematic. And if, you, if you're trying to just use it as, oh, that's my instinctual response is to the chest, one in the head. Uh, you need to have a little bit more uh, more to it, or you should to to uh, have a good good defense. Yeah, cog- um, to me, it really illustrates the importance of cognition, right? Which we talk about when we talk about how we train and why we train. But you have to actually think before you act, and that's an unfortunate thing because in sports and a lot of other things in life, we want to build automated responses without any level of cognition at all. In a gunfight, we have to have that right balance of automated, you know, habitual. You know, instinctive like response, but it has to be combined with a certain amount 
of cognition that, that identifies a target and says, yes, that is, a, in, is indeed a target, and says, wait, that yes, that is still a, a threat. I still need to continue to put it down, and those kinds of things. We can't just, you know, plug into whatever drill we've won too many times at the range and, and go, to, go to work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we're, and that's so important to me when I'm training students or even in my own training, um, you always have to understand why you're running a specific drill or why you're doing what you're doing. Um, You know, I've said this before is that you can teach a monkey to pull a trigger and shoot a bullseye or or, or shoot a target. Um, But it's the thought, there's 99% of, of, you know, a self surviving a self-defense shooting or anything like that is not the physical manipulation of your trigger. It is everything else that goes into squeezing that trigger. Why I'm squeezing the trigger. Can I, am I justified? How many shots should I be firing? Um, you know, my, my backdrop, what's going on. So there's so much else that goes into what's going on. And it's so much, like you said, cognition or, or what you're thinking and understand why you're shooting. And I want to say again, I'm not saying two to the chest and one in the head is not justified. I'm not saying that at all. Each situation is going to be different, but you can't throw out the fact that, yeah, I train and, and I, I go on autopilot and that's why I shot, you know, 15, I dumped my magazine into this guy's chest. It might be justified, but you know, if, but, if but it's after, not justified for that reason, exactly. And if there's videos and, and uh, other, you know, witness statements that said, yeah, the guy dropped after one shot and, and, you know, you just instinctively dumped your whole magazine in this guy's chest, it's going to be problematic to say, you know, that shots, you know, two through 14 were justified. And that's what I try to get people to, to kind of break out of that mindset of like, you know, um, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six or whatever mentality is. Whatever I do is justified because at one point I was justified to use deadly force. And it's just not, it's so much more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, if you guys have thoughts or comments about that, send us an email, let us know. We will address that. Now I want to talk a little bit about some things coming up this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a busy weekend, Matthew, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, in Kentucky is the United States Concealed Carry Association, better known as USCCA, Annual Expo. So this is in Louisville, Kentucky, starts on Friday, April 13th in the afternoon, and runs through Sunday, April 15th in the late afternoon. And it's a big deal. They do this every year. I think this is the fourth or the fifth one. I'm not even sure. Um, but it's a traveling thing. So if, for those of you who are even within a couple hours drive of Louisville, I mean, Matthew, you're not, you're not in Kentucky or in Ohio, but you're close enough that you can make the drive for in a couple of hours. Uh, this is an event definitely worth attending. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And I, I'll, I'll add this, that if you are attending this expo, don't just walk the booths. You can walk all of the booths of this show in a day, I promise. If you're going to be there for two days, check out the seminar and the presentation schedule. Make sure you're also taking advantage of the free education, free is, wrong words. It's built into the, there's a price to register. It's like $10 to get into this event. But once you're in, you know, whether or not you walk around, look at all the booths, or if you go and attend these seminars and presentations, that's all included in your registration. So make sure you're getting the most out of that. And I'll add that I happen to know a couple of really intelligent dudes that are going to be doing some presentations there. So (laughs) if you're going to be there, I would definitely check the schedule and attend the ones by that Jacob Paulson guy and that Riley Bowman guy, if he's there. Oh, we haven't told anyone yet. How come Riley's not here? Have we? No, no. Oh, I've been spoiled. I've been holding on to this too long. All right, peeps, here's the deal. 
I, I can tell him. Oh. He, he's in, he's in your basement in a big hole, and you're lowering down a bucket of lotion. <laughs> he's alive. He's still alive. <laughs> Riley Bowman. Uh, well, his wife is supposed to go into labor any minute. That's the deal. Riley is expecting another baby. The baby could come any any minute of any day, and due to the various things that are required to prepare for that, and other things related to our business, he is otherwise not available. Yeah, there you have it. That's why. He may or may not be on the episode later this week, I might add. (laughs) Time will tell. (laughs) Okay, so, peeps, here's the deal. Make sure if you're at the expo that you take advantage of that stuff, as as stated. Now, here's the other idea, though, related to the expo. For those of you who are not going to be in Kentucky, which is the vast majority of you listening to this, do not despair. We will be broadcasting live video. We have a huge, like, broadcast booth at the show, okay? And in all hours that the show is, is open, it's available to the public, we will be live, like nonstop broadcasting from our broadcast booth at the show. We're going to have a ton of people coming in and through that booth being interviewed by Riley, myself, Matthew, and potentially other instructors in our network who happen to be uh, attending. Uh, we're going to have some amazing people that will be in the broadcast booth with us broadcasting live. We're going to have Mike Hughes. Next Level Training. We're going to have Gabby Franco. I love Gabby. Beth Alcazar. We're going to have uh, Kevin Misowski. We're going to have Rob Pincus. Tim Schmidt, the man, will be on the stage with us. Chris Serino and many, many other amazing individuals. So I am telling you, just block out the time now. On Friday, starting at about 2 p.m. local time, that'll be Eastern time there in Kentucky, we go live and we basically stay live until Sunday afternoon. So all you got to do is be near your computer. We will get you that link. It's going to be, essentially, it, it'll be on our website as well. You'll be able to find it right from the homepage. It'll be a big bar at the top. It's live right now. It'll be really easy to find. And we'll be broadcasting via YouTube Live and probably Facebook Live as well. And you'll be able to find that and participate. And so be on that because it's, it's going to be something that you don't want to miss. Absolutely. I'm pretty excited. It's going to be really here. cool. Yeah. Now, that said, one other thought about something's going on this weekend. We've got a lot of emails about this, so we thought we'd better address it. This weekend, the National Constitutional Coalition of Patriotic Americans, man, we are running out of good names for this kind of stuff. The NCCPA is organizing, maybe that's the best word, organizing a Second Amendment rally. Now, this is a national rally. There is an independent one taking place in every state. And if you go to our page, to show notes in our in our in this podcast episode, you can find the link to a Facebook page. But if you just if you want to find it, just go to Facebook and type in the NCCPA or the National Constitutional Coalition of Patriotic Americans. And when you get there, you can see they have one for every single state. It, it varies at time. Most of them, anywhere from 10 a.m. to like two in the afternoon, depending on the state. Most of them are going to take place at the state capitol. Uh, there's a few I've noticed, like at a governor's mansion or something like that. Uh, but for the most part, they're at each state capital. So find out what time it's going to be in your state. Stop watching our live broadcast from Kentucky at that time and go to your state capital and participate in this rally. I think it's going to be really amazing, and I'd encourage you to check that out. Why they scheduled it the same weekend as the USDC Expo, I really have no idea. It's a little bit frustrating, as I will not be able to show up at the Colorado Capitol. I will be in Kentucky. All right, Matthew, I think I've said my piece. I think it's time to get into all these news stories. Absolutely. We got a lot. We do. So let's game on this sucker. 
All right. So first off, from NBCNews.com, because they just love guns so much, we have this headline, Low Crime Village Bans Military-Style Guns, Citing Parkland and Other Mass Shootings. So what is the our good friends in Deerfield, Illinois, what in the world are they doing, Matthew? Yeah, so so this is pretty interesting, um, and I'm sure it's been going across people's uh, Facebook feeds and all this stuff. But this this Deerfield, Illinois, if you haven't heard heard of the 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 uh, city, it's a suburb of Chicago, um, very safe. You know, no no gun crime in Chicago. Um, Deerfield has about eighteen thousand people. Uh, it hasn't had a murder in the last five years. V- extremely low crime. Um, and and so I guess what they decided to do because they you know you have to you have to do something right you can't like a lemming you can't just stand around you have to do something and even if it's wrong you have to do it so they decide that they're going to enact a law um, prohibiting um, anybody to possess not just sell or buy but possess military type assault weapons and of course um, because they understand um, their own definitions of everything the ar-15 meets their criteria Um, that's not that's not really outlandish because other states have um, have instituted you know bans on ar-15s but this is this is weird they're they give um this this is similar to what's going on in us or what happened in Australia, but they have 60 days uh, legal gun owners who have AR 15s in, in Deerfield have 60 days to either uh, transfer the, the firearm to somebody uh, who doesn't live in Deerfield, sell it um, back to um, you know, an FFL or turn it in or, and, and, and if they have any more uh, magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, if they don't, it's a one thousand a day f- dollar fine. Um, once I, uh, apparently, in, until the police come and confiscate it from them. So this is actually um, r- bad on a, on a bunch of levels. Um, but yeah, this is this is confiscation. This is um, it, this is exactly what everybody's been saying. Uh, all the gun owners have been fearful of, but. Uh, you know, the left has always said, or the, the anti-gunners have always said, uh, no, nobody wants to confiscate your guns. No, nobody's going to confiscate your guns. That this is actually confiscation. I mean, that's what it says in the bill or in yeah. the law. Yeah, the, the word confiscation is used. So to your point, Matthew, I think the drama here is not that, hey, we're making these things illegal. Some arbitrary definition of something that looks like some military thing is now illegal and we write AR-15 in the law because that way that covers that maybe and O plus mags that hold more than 10 rounds. That, that's that been done in a handful of places, a couple of states and a handful of local jurisdictions. If this was one more, we'd shake our heads and say morons, but we'd kind of move on. But they've gone beyond that. And they're saying, no, no, no. In addition, you have 60 days to sell or surrender it, or you're going to get fined $1,000 a day until we come and confiscate it from you. And that's where it's kind of getting pretty crazy because of that. Uh, according to the Washington Times, gun advocates, uh, including, let's see, the Illinois State Rifle Association, are filing a lawsuit against the city of Deerfield, of Deerfield Village. And, uh, yeah, they're saying, not cool, dudes. Yeah, and, and rightfully so, because they, they, and they touch on a couple things. One is in, in um, 
there's a, there's a term called preemption. So some states have preemption and some states don't as far as the gun law. So um, what preemption is, is the state makes a gun law and, and to, to protect gun owners from, you know, let's say, uh, confusion. Concealed carry, yeah. right. Confusion from going from one state to another. They say, okay, the state law is going to preempt any, in any city ordinances. So you can't, you can't create a, a, a town ordinance. that's going to make this incongruent with state law. Well, this is exactly why the preemption statute is so important. Um, and, and they're trying to pass it off as, well, this is new legislation or this, this is, this is not preemption. Um, this is, this is, um, just redefining it, but, oh, but it, it is, it, yeah, it's exactly pre- why preemption is important. Um, and, and the other argument they made, which I thought was extremely intelligent is that, you know, normally the punishment must fit the, the crime, right? You, you so in, in all other courses uh, or criminal statutes and everything, there's a there's a level of understanding that you can't you can't enact a punishment that's that's way unduly uh, negative or, or um, serious relative serious yeah. relative to the crime. Right, a th- one thousand day uh, fine for this crime seems extremely extremely serious and, and completely. Uh, uh, over the top compared to what the crime actually would be is holding on to a, you know, a 30 round magazine. So um, I think this is going to be problematic uh, on many levels. That's my yeah. person. But. Yeah. These people are geniuses. Uh, you know, along those lines, as long as we're kind of talking about city ordinances, I'm going to mention that we're going to put a bonus link in the uh, show notes here. This little, this YouTube video of this guy named Mark Robinson, and uh, he's addressing the city council of Greensboro, North Carolina. And he's basically, they basically are you know, considering uh, a ban on some upcoming gun show. And, and they're taking comments from local citizens. And he gets up and just drops the mic on these peeps. And, man, if he, if he had been in Deerfield, Illinois, this crap might not have gone down. Yeah, well, that Mark was Robinson's a, a good dude. Uh, that, that was an awesome speech. Um, and, and, yeah, if you haven't seen it, you ha- you have to check it out. Yep. Um, and, and one more thing before we move on off of this story that I want you guys to think or remember because it's going to come up in another story is I want you to think uh, or, or remember this line because this is this is the justification that they're using uh, to pass this this confiscation bill. So they're saying um, the ordinance um, is necessary because. Um, it's not that owning an AR-15 is not reasonably necessary in quotation to protect an individual's right to self-defense. So owning the AR-15 is not reasonably necessary. So remember that terminology that they use because it's going to come up in another story and I want you to see the parallels in it. And it's very important because not only um, is the AR-15 reasonably necessary for you know, across the country. But if you live in a suburb of Chicago, I, I, I mean, criminals travel. And if, if there's a criminal that says, hey, this whole town has banned a, a very, uh, a great self-defense firearm, then you, you I mean, you, you should feel more emboldened to go commit crime uh, in, in that community. So remember the reasonably necessary thing once again, because it's going to come up and you're going to you're going to say, aha, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. If I was a bad person, Matthew, I would have a website that's like bestplacestocommitcrime.com. 
And, you know, I would have just a great directory of like the best cities and places in the nations. Like you are, you are good to go here, man. Like if you're a criminal, like best, this is your best 10 cities to live in. And Deerfield might be on my list now. But yeah. I'm not a bad person, so I won't make that website. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, 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 you know, p- criminals are uh, on the average not in very, very intelligent uh, uh, overall, but they're intelligent criminally. The criminal mind is very intelligent, and, and I, I, and I, it reminds me of uh, when when you just mentioned that. Is I remember a string of um, uh, home burglaries that were going on in, in the city that I worked in. Um, as a police officer and, and ended up that these people were going on looking at the obituaries, finding out which people died when their, um, when their funerals were and, and f- matching that up to where they lived and then going to their house, knowing that they were not home. So, I mean, these types of things, criminals do look and they're predatory in nature and they're going to look at the weakest area. And if, if you know that as a criminal, that this person is prohibited from law of owning a AR-15 or, you know, there's very strict gun ordinances. That's where you're going to go to commit crimes. It's, it's just plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Not rocket science at all. All right. Here's, here's one, a little, another embarrassing media issue here. And uh, I feel a little bit bad for this person. Of course, I don't feel bad for a lot of the, the media scripts we see, right? Like I don't feel bad for CNN when they're trying to explain a bump stock. And so, they put up a picture of a gun that doesn't have a bump stock, but has a grenade launcher on it. I, I don't. I don't feel bad for that ABC local affiliate who showed the video of the lady sawing off an AR-15 and said she created a short barrel shotgun, you know, or a sawed-off shotgun. Like I don't feel bad for those guys, but th- this one I'm just a little bit sympathetic. We, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but it's kind of fun. Uh, MSNBC's Nicole Wallace mistakes soda can opening for gunshots, and it's worth watching the video just because it's that entertaining. But basically, she's kind of like reporting on what's happening at the YouTube headquarters. So you can imagine that she's kind of, you know, she's probably got some earpiece in and she's listening to some peeps that are there at the YouTube headquarters or whatever. And somewhere on set, you know, probably like her producer off camera pop, pops open a soda can, you know, and uh, she's like, oh, oh, hold on now. Like, I think I think I hear gunshots. <laughs> oh boy yeah i i had to pick this out and throw it in into the into the uh, outline because you know like you said you kind of feel bad for her because who knows what's going on but you know if if you're gonna start reporting if this isn't you know she reports on firearms uh all the time and takes an opinion on firearms not just reports on them but i think more importantly takes an opinion and and voices her her expertise, you know, or why this, this type of firearm should be banned or this or that is common sense. But if you don't under, if you can't even tell the difference between a gunshot and a a pop can opening up, uh, maybe you shouldn't be weighing in. Maybe your opinion shouldn't be, you know, held uh, up Mm -hmm. as, you know, (laughs) anybody should not take your opinion seriously uh, on firearms. If you can't even tell the difference between a gunshot in a, in a can of pop opening. Uh, you, guys, you guys aired that uh, piece from Colion Noir the other day where, you know, he talks about how with most things in America, we seek out experts, you know, mm-hmm. to have intelligent conversation. When it comes to gun conversation, we're not looking for anyone who's intelligent at all. I no. mean, my friend Diane thinks that AR-15s are more powerful than hunting rifles. <laughs> so, you know, let's let her yeah. write all the legislation on guns. You definitely have to get a hold of Diane and let her know 
next time you're you're at a like a family gathering or something with them. <laughs> you guys are close. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're 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 tight with buddies. Um, not really. Just in case anyone's actually curious, I've never met the woman, and if I did, we would not be best friends. I just I often use that phrase like my friend so and so, you know, facetiously. Yeah, sarcastic. Yeah. All right, how about this one from thedailywire.com? Uh, London's mayor declares intense new knife control policies to stop epidemic of stabbings. Now, this, this is brilliant because I think my favorite thing here is that we use the word knife control. And it, it's almost like someone was writing a headline for the Daily Wire, and they're like, you know, maybe the mayor called it something like, you know, I don't know, something else, but we're going to call it knife control. So I, I, I scroll down, I look, and it's like, no, actually, the London mayor literally used the words knife control policies uh, designed to keep, quote, these weapons of war out of the hands of Londoners looking to cause others harm. So I think you guys, this has been kind of interesting, like, you know, several weeks ago or months ago, even we, we shared that documentary uh, where, you know, this crime is, knife crime is everywhere in London. And then I think a week or two ago, we talked about how the murder rate in London is now higher than New York. And now we're talking about how the mayor of London, he's, he's got some tough new you know, policies to crack down on this, this knife you know, violence epidemic. And you know, what is, the short of it is what? I mean, he's created a violent crime task force of 120 officers, quote, tasked with rooting out knife-wielding individuals in public spaces, end quote. So basically, they're going to, like, target randomly people off the street and shake them down for knives. Is that what you got out of this, Matthew? Yeah, and, and it's crazy because um, so and, and this is this is what ends up happening with these with, you know, the slippery slope type argument and not that, you know, one leads to another. But but listen, but try to understand this, that when New York did this stop and frisk thing, right, uh, New York police officers went out and said, hey, we're going to basically the same thing. But they did it in high crime areas where there are a lot of gang members, um, firearms and things like that. It had a it had an impact, right? It reduced it reduced uh, crimes in that in those in those areas, um, but it was ultimately said that it it, it was racist, it was um, biased, it was you know racially motivated, um, and so these types of things are generally frowned upon, right? By by um, progressive people, you yeah. Know. Stop profiling us, exactly, right? So okay, so so they're kind of shunned, you know, this practice kind of shunned. Now you have a very progressive um, may, uh, governor, um, you know, and they're instituting this because they know that that that's really the only way that you, you, you know, you, you look at a problem and you address it. And if they have a high problem in a certain area that you address those people, regardless of, you know, their, their racial background. Um, if, if it's happening in a specific area, you, you, you target that area, not the people, but the area. Um, but it's crazy that we're talking about targeting, not guns, but knives. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to me that, that he's, that the, the language that is used is eerily is almost like a cookie cutter copy of gun, uh, all the arguments against guns, but they just apply it to knives. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. It, uh, check out this one. Parliament is also set to take up heavy knife control legislation when it resumes this week. 
The UK government is expected to introduce a ban on online knife sales and home knife deliveries. (laughs) This this sounds so eerily familiar. Declare it illegal to possess zombie knives and knuckle dusters in private. Zombie zombie knives are your ghost guns. Remember the ghost gun thing? So they're basically like, it's like their version of getting rid of the AR-15s and the high-capacity mags or or something, or armor-piercing rounds or something, but it's it's all about these knives and types of knives. It's crazy, zombie knives. And and it's always some some term that they try to, you know, scare people with. That's right. but the, but the crazy thing is, and, and what I, I told you guys to think back um, to the justification for, you know, um, this Deerfield, Illinois banning the AR-15. And I said, there's no good cause th- th- that they were arguing the fact that this, this ordinance would, was good because there was no just cause or no good reason that anybody should own an AR-15. In fact, that's normally one of the arguments against the AR-15. There's no, there's no just, no, there's no legitimate reason. This, listen to the reason um, that they give for the um, the knife laws. They say the strict uh, uh, strict gun control law, um, it, England has some of the strictest gun control laws in the world, and technically knives carried without good reason are off limits. So this uh, without good reason is this term that they use under to to make you feel like owning these things are you know completely irrational there's no reason to own these things yet now they're applying it to knives and 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 what you know if you see the talking points and the way they go down this road it's always to take away something and then when they realize that that's not having the intended result because it won't we know it won't because criminals just move to a different tool of you know to commit their their murders um then they move on to the next thing and say, well, we got to do this because there's no good reason for this one. And now that's not going to work. And soon they're going to, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. It, it, this is, this is just ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't get rid of knives. No, right? you I can't. Mean, you can make it so it's illegal to carry them without a good reason. Apparently, according to the, the mayor, by the way, their quote is no good reason. Exactly. There's no, no good reason. Right. So, so you can't, but you can't like make them illegal. You can't go into people's homes and seize all their knives. Like, you know, what are you going to butter your bread with peeps? But here, here's the funnier thing to me. And, and, I, and I think we can move on, but uh, you know, w- when the game is the knife, people who are stronger, faster, and younger are a significant advantage. A knife is not an equalizer. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're over the age of about 60, even 50, you are arguably, if, if, if knives were the thing, if that was your self-defense mechanism, you're at a significant disadvantage. That's the beautiful thing about a firearm is it is the equalizer. You know, if, if two people drop a gun at the same time, the person is faster, it maybe has a little bit of an advantage, but it really comes down to training, you know, who's better prepared. But if two people drop on a, in a knife fight, uh, that's bad news bears, folks. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it, it's close and personal and you have to have some skill with a knife it, it takes a, it takes a little higher level of skill i think it does but it's also a matter of speed and strength uh, yep. two things that are inherently just you know you lose as you get older or or you know potentially if you're overly young too right mm-hmm. all right crazy crap all right so here's one from the nra ila.org site anti-gun democrat introduces partisan ammunition control bill claims no quote right to bear bullets end quote so here's the rough story and uh we're going to preach the choir a little bit here, but long story short, the Second Amendment says we have the right to keep and bear arms. 
And our, our genius friend, you know, here, what was the name? Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida. Shocker. Debbie, my friend Debbie, she says essentially that the Second Amendment, you know, it, it, it covers guns, right? It gives you the right to keep and bear arms. But it doesn't cover ammo mm-hmm. at all. So, therefore, we should be able to legislate ammo. We should be able to, you know, restrict it. We should be able to regulate it because it's not covered under the Second Amendment which to me is just mind-blowingly stupid, right? Like how can you possibly argue that the Second Amendment protects the right to own and keep and bear guns, but not ammo? Like, like the, the two are kind of inter, interconnected, you know? So I, I honestly don't think this is going to go anywhere, but maybe it'll make Debbie Wasserman and Schultz feel warm and fuzzy inside because she brought this to life. Yeah, she, because now she can say, well, I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing something, even if it's bogus. Um, but there is, they actually are, there, there was actually um, already a, um, in the Gun Control Act of 1968, and it's in the article, um, there was a, a, a requirement for uh, ammunition to be registered or, or to, um, you know. Well, for people who sell it to be licensed. Correct. And, and to record their sales. Correct. And, and they realize that that has nothing it, it, because the ammunition is not serialized and things like that. Um, you know, it makes no it made no sense to do that. You placing a, a, a very large burden on the person to maintain these records. It has no benefit other than it. You know, it, it's just more paperwork and more uh, hassle for a gun owner. And so I think it's interesting, not the fact that, you know, this is, uh, that it, if it will pass or not, but I think it's interesting because um, we've been arguing this kind of, um, you know, repeal of the second amendment without repeal, you know, like, uh, you know, backdoor legislation that would undermine somebody's right to, to produce, to, to own their firearms. And this is how they do it by making it so difficult and putting all these burdens and and hoops that somebody would have to jump through to, to, you know, uh, exercise their second amendment. So with this, it's, it's important to note that, I think they're understanding, and I think they. I I, I, I truly believe that the anti-gun people know that the Second Amendment will, as much as they call for it, will never be repealed. And without the Second Amendment, or with the Second Amendment there, they have to do something else. And when you look at them saying, "Well, you know, uh, it might cover guns, but it doesn't cover ammunition. Uh, it might cover, you know, guns, but it doesn't prohibit, you know, uh, a bank from prohibiting their." Uh, their banks to do business with people who sell guns, you know, it's all this backdoor stuff to try to circumvent the second amendment. And I think it's disingenuous and I think it's, they're showing their hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, like we said, hopefully she feels warm and fuzzy inside about doing something mm-hmm. and the rest of us will just face palm it and, and say, yeah, you, you poor, poor soul and move on a little bit. Uh, here's a quick one for you guys. This is from Washington Times. Just, I guess it's noteworthy that last month in March, there were two, nearly 2.8 million gun purchase background checks processed uh, by the NIC system, which is about 335,000 more than the year prior. So March hit a record, you know, as far as gun sales go, which makes perfectly perfect sense to was in the business. Uh, it's it's a very much so a reaction to all this talk about gun control, what's going on. And of course, a reaction to just kind of the people's uh, realization that their protection is in their own hands and that, you know, tragedy can strike anywhere, anytime. So uh, I think we expected that we've seen it 
happening, and there you go. That's that's uh, that's the current numbers. All right, how about this one, Matthew Fox, Carolina.com. Quote, uh, headline here, coroner, woman shoots, kills intruder armed with shotgun after home invasion. So this is yeah. from Gaffney, South Carolina. And uh, Matthew, give us a breakdown. How'd this one go down? What happened? Yeah, so this woman uh, is woken up in the middle of the night as somebody uh, knocks on the door. Um, it, this is at 3.25 a.m., it says. Um, and a male answers, or she opens the door, male is there, and he pushes her way, his way into the, uh, into the home, starts fighting with the woman. Um, so obviously, this is, this is pretty intense. Um, with the, with the woman um, being you know engaged in a physical fight with this with this guy, um, and then um, she shoots the guy with a uh, with a shotgun. So um, you know it, it, this this is important to understand that number one, there's a couple of things that she does she does that we probably wouldn't uh, advise, but um, I think important important thing that she says at the end, um, is it was either him or me. Um, and so that's, that's the mentality that this woman has before she shoots these people. It wasn't just the fact that, you know, they broke into her home. It was the fact that she, she was being assaulted by these people and believed that, you know, she was going to die. Um, if, if she didn't, if she didn't fire that shot. So, um, you know, and, and I'll let you mention on a couple things that are obvious red flags that probably weren't a great idea. Um, yeah. I mean, some of these are our kind of broken record kind of comments, right? Like don't open doors to strangers, install a people and look through it and don't open that door unless you recognize who those people are, have some other method of communicating to someone through a locked door, you know, so, so that we're not randomly letting people push their way in, force their way in. Uh, have the firearm with you, right? I mean, especially when I'm going to answer the door, like that's a really good time to be armed. And in this case, and it's kind of hard to follow, you know, the story and read it because, you know, journalists are not always awesome. But essentially, I think the gist I get is you, ha- you really have two different people in the home. One of them is being attacked. The other one who's able to retrieve the gun. But if this person had been alone, it may not have been able to go get that shotgun. So it- it's it's one of those kinds of stories that, like usual, it's like guys, like, come on, let's not go open doors to random people without a gun. Like, let's not do those things. Yeah. And so, and not just at night. I mean, I, you know, you can call, I I don't live in a, I don't live in a bad area or anything, but I still make sure that, you know, if I'm going to open the door, I look uh, through the people. I have lights on when it starts getting dark, uh, dark, um, you know, right, right on, on, on my front step. So I can see who's at my door. And if, if, you know, if it's three in the morning and you don't recognize a person, don't open the door. I mean, no. just don't open it. There's no, no. Yeah, I don't no care way. what their story is. If they've broken down, they, they need to come in, whatever it is at three in the morning, you, you, nobody needs to be coming into your house unless you no. know them. No way. Yeah. I, and this, this definitely reeks of like poor physical security, right? And just this, mm-hmm. this general sense of, you know, good lighting, good, strong, you know, locks on the door, good habits, you know, trimmed bushes, all that stuff that, you know, just comes down to good physical security that prevents the encounter from taking place. Mm-hmm. Ah, come on, people. <laughs> all right. Yeah, this one is CBS17.com. We're jumping over to North Carolina now. Night, Nightdale, Nightdale, North Carolina. Sure. 
And uh, this one, what we have is we got we got the BG. Okay, the BG's name is Tevin. Yeah, sounds like a winner. All right, so the BG, he walks into the store armed with a revolver, and he points it at the clerk. And this is a convenience store, the uh, N&A Food Mart, sure. So Tevin walks in, points his revolver at the clerk, and demands money. It says, the two briefly struggled, and the clerk tried to run to another area of the store, but was followed by Horton. Now, Matthew, what, what were they, why were they running away? Where were they going? Yeah, they're probably going to get their firearm yep, that was going to behind get the, gun. the counter. Yep, mm-hmm. so here's your first red flag, folks. Once again, we got some convenience store peeps who leave the, the gun where? Probably some break room or the purse or something. It's not on them. There's your, there's your problem, okay? Please say that is when the clerk pulled out his own gun and fired shots at the BG. The BG then fled the scene, according to the police. Authorities brought tracking dogs to the store area and searched for Horton. Oh, man, I, I wish I could have seen that, man. I love those dogs. They are so <laughs> freaking cool. Meanwhile, officers at the convenience store soon learned of a gunshot victim about two miles away. They arrived there, found the BG with a gunshot to the lower back and buttock area. Horton said, or Holton told officers, the BG told officers he had been shot in a drive-by shooting. But surveillance video and other evidence placed him at the scene of the robbery. Criminals are not geniuses, but they are desperate. And that's, uh, that's an important distinction. So uh, here we have, it's a foiled robbery of a convenience store because the good person had a gun, though not on them, and probably would have had a much better outcome if they had had it on them. And we don't know what led to the altercation, by the way. It might have been that uh, the clerk was trying to hand over the money. Like, oh, yep, here you go. And all of a sudden, he starts grabbing her and bashing her head in. We don't know, right? Like, I think it's important to, to, to bear in mind that, you know, sometimes these things might sound on the surface like, whoa, why are we shooting some dude when he's just asking for cash? Let's give him the cash. Like, the company's probably got insurance, right? Let him have it and go. But, uh, you know, you just never know where these things go. I mean, you remember Charles, was it Charles Russell, the guy in Tennessee we interviewed, who, you know, this guy had gone into a convenience store and was trying to kidnap the employee who was going to take her out and bury her where no one would find her. Mm-hmm. And Charles walked in on that and, that and was able to save that woman's life. So you never know where this stuff is going. Any other thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, just like, like you said, you don't know. And the, the argument is always, you know, well, if you just give them the money, nothing's going to happen. And, and maybe that's the case in some situations, but certainly there are a lot of situations where that's not the case. And the person ends up shooting the clerk um, and killing them because of no other reason, because they don't want to be identified or they freaked out or, you know, the, the clerk doesn't give it to them fast enough. So I, I think sometimes we um, and especially as a police officer, I go and, and you know, I, I, I go to a 7-Eleven. This 7-Eleven was being robbed all the time. And I'm like, well, why can't you carry a firearm in here? And they said the store policy, this and that. And it was almost like old hat for these people that they I would go in there and they'd say I was like, you know, taking their, you know, their their statement. And I'm like, well, were you nervous? Were you this or that? And they're like, uh, at this point, you know, this is like the third time we've been robbed in, you know, the last month. So, uh, no, I really wasn't nervous. Um, you know, he's pointing the gun at me, but, and they almost become, um, you know, uh, immune to, to the, the, the sense of, um, danger that they're in. And so I think, um, understanding that these people, um, are not always going to just take the money and run. Sometimes they absolutely um, will kill kill the um, the clerk, and so 
having your firearm or working in these these uh, convenience stores at night are very dangerous. Lots of them have uh, no gun policies or no weapon policies. And, you know, I, I would just, I know some of our listeners probably find themselves in situations where they're, they're working in one of these, these areas that, you know, is dangerous and they're working at night. If you can't carry a firearm, I'm sorry, it, it, your life is, is super important and have that firearm on you. If you're allowed to, is very important um, to, to, to ha- give you yourself a chance at least to surviving uh, one of these encounters. Mm-hmm. We, and we've seen instances where, you know, clerks uh, in stores have had a firearm with them, have used it in their own defense, and then have been fired for having that mm-hmm. gun, and which my thought is, dude, go, like, there's plenty of other places you can get a job like that. You know, like, there's got to be another place you can go and say, I'm experienced, we'll get that job. Uh, you know, cons- you know, consider all the legal parameters and you know, legal advice, attorney, all that, you know, disclaimer, but life is kind of a thing, you know, want to, want to, want to survive. All right, back to foxcarolina.com. Apparently, we got two stories from this website, and this one is from Walhalla, South Carolina. I don't know. Walhalla? Does that, what do you think, Matthew? Let's, let's call it Valhalla. Ah, Valhalla. <laughs> Valhalla? South Carolina. Okay. The Oconee County Sheriff's Office investigating after a suspect entered a woman's home on Wednesday. So here's, here's how I read this. This is what I get from this. So Carrie... Carrie Reeves, she's the homeowner. She's she seems awesome. Okay, and uh, she has no problem. By the way, everybody knowing her name, she's like on Fox, like telling everybody what went down. So Carrie, she wakes up. Someone's in the house. There's an intruder. She's like not cool. Okay, she's armed. She gets a gun. She points at the suspect, and it's not clear if she shot the gun. I don't think so. I don't think any shots were fired. Yeah, she just pulls so. the gun and definitely points it at the intruder. And dude. Boom, takes off, and he's gone, and later they find him walking around in the woods with items belonging to the victim in his possession. So uh, here's a little quote from the homeowner, Carrie. She says, quote, you came within two and a half seconds of having a full clip unloaded into your skull, end quote. Quote, next time you will have a full clip unloaded, end quote. So I might send her a message to let her know that they're magazines. But other than that, what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, you know, I thought there was a couple good things from this story. Outside, you know, in, in like a lot of stories, we they're light on the facts or the actual things that happen. Um, but a couple things that she said afterwards or um, in her interviews is, is one that she said, this could have been a very different situation had I not been properly armed. So, you know, it, it underscores once again the importance of having a firearm in the home um, and being trained uh, to to prevent these these people from harming you. I mean, who knows what this person was going to do to her? Um, and then I thought this was kind of kind of funny, and I, I'll throw it in there. She says, "I'm one of those people that can go from zero to 100 in 2.5 seconds," as evident in her statement about having a clip unloaded in the guy's skull. Um, I'm not a nice person normally, <laughs> but as soon as I got on the phone with the sheriff's department, he was out of sight. I'm talking about when she, when she, uh, when she called it in, um, the, the severity of it hit me and I was in hysterics. I was crying. I was scared, very shaken. Um, you know, so the, it's, it's important to understand that this, she might be this like person that's very, and this is what I got out of it. She might be this person who's very gruff or very, you know, um, uh, strong willed and doesn't take anything from anybody, but 
when you're faced with the fact that your life might be taken from you or the fact that you might be raped in your own home or something like that, it changes you and, and is, is, you know, hardcore as you are, um, it's going to shake you up. It's, it's going to make you, you, you know, think twice about what's, you know, your safety in the future. Um, and, and the fact that this woman actually got to face the person, this was one, wasn't one of those stories where she ended up shooting him and he died. She actually ends up facing him in court and says these things to her, to him, um, is very, very unique, at least in, you know, the stories that we, we some sometimes um, cover because a lot of times you don't face the the person who is there trying to kill you because you know they them themselves are are no longer on the earth. Um, but she she said it. You know she uses the word clip, but she said next time you know she would she would have unloaded. And um, I, I guarantee you she's going to look at her safety much differently from this day. You know that day f- moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you said about kind of her reaction and how it's so uh, Ill- illustrative. Is that the right word? Illustrative? Yeah, I think that's how you say illustrative. illustrative. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds like a word. It's a good example of kind of how these things emotionally will hit you. I love when she said the severity of it hit me and I was in hysterics. I was crying. I was scared. I was very shaken. Uh, I think that's a really good example. I, I liked everything you said. I, I think it's also worth noting, you know, her little quote here about, you know, two and a half seconds having a full clip unloaded into your skull. And next time you will have a full clip unloaded. In addition to using the right terminology, which is a magazine, not a clip, I, I would also just add that, you know, saying things like that is not always the best legal plan. And maybe in this case, she already knew no charges were being filed and the DA had made a decision. But I wouldn't be running around talking about premeditated murder, generally speaking. <laughs> I think that's probably not the best plan. And I know that it's not premeditated, it's not premeditated murder if it's self-defense, but sort of kind of is if my intent was to unload the gun into the person. So anyway, just another little like wary consideration there about what yeah. we say and how we say it. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, it was either you or no, Josh wrote a really good article on that. And he also, this ties into um, an article that we just published. I think he republished it about lawyering up or what you say after a shooting when, you know, she, she encapsulates it very well by saying like she was shooken up. Um, it really hit her. And when you're involved in something like that, sometimes you say things that don't really make sense um, that you're trying to connect dots that weren't that, you know, your brain is trying to fill in gaps in the story and you might fill in something that you saw or you didn't see because your brain's trying to make sense of it all. And, and that those aren't the greatest times to give um, statements to police either on the phone or, you know, through the dispatcher or police uh, on the scene at the time, because, like I said, your, your, your mind is going a million different directions. So, um, you know, think about that if you've ever, if you're ever in a, in, in a shooting or something a high stress situation like that, think about calming down before you, you try to give statements of fact about what, what happened, because, uh, a lot of times right at the, at the moment, in a, a traumatic situation like that, you're not giving accurate statements of, of what happened. Yeah. To me, it's an interesting piece of irony that, Law enforcement knows that people give bad statements and even false statements when they're initially come out of a traumatic experience. And so for that reason, we allow officers to sleep two cycles, two days before we ask them to give statements. 
But on the same token, officer's job is to gather all the evidence, the statements immediately following the incident as possible. I find that to be an interesting irony, but, you know, what do I know? Being not a cool cop like you and Riley. <laughs> no, I, and I always took that into consideration. And, you know, I, I never wanted to get a statement from somebody right away um, because I knew how problematic they were. And I, I always thought, you know, get, get a brief statement as far as safety is, are, you know, how many people were there? Is, are we looking for other people that might be injured or where did you shoot this direction or whatnot? But let it kind of marinate with that person. Um, go try to, you know, investigate the physical evidence and things like that. Try to get witness statements. Um, and then go back to, to, to the person either the next day or something like that, because um, you'll get a much better, more coherent statement from them um, that, that will, you know, unless it's something that, you know, you have to, if something's kind of fishy and you're trying to piece it up together right then and there. But in most of these self-defense situations, um, you know, it's not going to be, you're not going to arrest a person right there, there uh, uh, on scene. You're going to let the investigation go um, to try to get as much evidence you can. So, um, but yeah, it is kind of ironic. <laughs> Officer Marister was advanced for his time. <laughs> and law enforcement was getting better training on that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here's a cool one from Houston, Texas. Cool is not the best word I'd use, but as people are starting to get, I'm a little bit of a sarcastic guy, and this was actually really not cool in my opinion. So in Houston, Texas, this is on abc13.com. Uh, man, these local news affiliates, I, I often wonder if they – I get it, right? Like if I'm, if I'm the ABC of Houston, I can't be abc.com, right? And I probably don't want to use my call letters, kdvrw.com, right? Like that's stupid. And anyway, okay, sorry, I digress. Forget I, forget I even brought it up. KTRK, sorry, that's their call letters. So that would have been dumb too. So they, these guys are abc13.com because they're probably channel 13. Like any of us even have channels anymore, right? Like all, forget it. All right, Houston, Texas. A Houston man opened fire on a neighbor found creeping around his home Monday night. Now this is bad news bears, guys. Listen to this and you'll quickly figure out what Jacob's beef is with this one. All right, listen closely. Alexander Garcia, that's the homeowner, Garcia told Eyewitness News that the accused neighbor had been captured many times on his home video system, checking doors and peeking into windows around the neighborhood. Okay, so many times he's seen this guy, you know, trying to get into his house, right? Garcia said last night a motion-activated light went off in his backyard. He first assumed it was a cat. There's our first problem. We should get rid of cats immediately. But, okay, I continue. But when he checked his security app, because, you know, motion light goes off, you pull up your phone, like, hey, I wonder if that's a cat, right? He checks his app. He spotted a man looking into his back window. Garcia, Garcia immediately went to check on his wife and four-year-old daughter. Up to this point, I'm thrilled. I'm like, this dude's on it, right? Like, he, he, he's, he's got this. Now here's, his, now, here's what Garcia said, though. Quote, I came out of the room, and I grabbed my gun. I told my wife, he's here. He's here. I just took it off safety. And then I saw him crouching down, and I shot once, end quote. Yikes. What? Excuse me, what? And then uh, the story continues. Surveillance video showed the man running away after Garcia fired the shot, barely missed the accused burglar. And then basically, long story short, everybody wants him caught, and, no one, and he hasn't been caught yet. And, yeah, there you go. But he wears white Adidas. If you see anyone in Houston with white Adidas sneakers, that could be our guy. <laughs> so, Matthew. What's my beef with this one? Yeah. I, 
first of all, you got to make sure of what you're shooting at, right? You have to identify it as a threat. Um, and I'm not saying somebody outside your home can't, you couldn't articulate that they're a threat, but given what's going on here, it's hard to say that this person was a deadly threat. He says he checks his wife and his four-year-old daughter. I'm, I'm assuming that they're okay because he doesn't say, I saw the you know, guy sneaking into their window. So his wife and daughter are okay. He's okay physically. Um, at this point, instead of gra- just grabbing his gun and shooting it you know, through, the, through the window at this guy, it should have been a phone call to the police and say, hey, this guy is back. Uh, send somebody over here. Um, and it, if he begins to come through the window, then it's a different story. But um, blind or, or shooting through a window at somebody who's outside your home because they're looking through your window, not, not really good, even in the middle of the night. Um, yep. We have tactical problems, we have legal problems, and we have ethical problems. Mm-hmm. I have an ethical issue with you randomly shooting at someone looking through a window. And I know some of you are probably listening like, Jacob, you're a bad, horrible person and we hate you because you don't want us to shoot random people in the dark that are looking through our windows. And I'm sorry, I, I, I don't, I have an issue with that. Like, <laughs> what, what has this person done that you believe you have the right to decide they should potentially die? Because when you shoot a gun at someone, you're accepting that they might potentially die and that it's worth it, right? It's worth it, in this case, for what? To stop them from looking in windows? They should die to keep them from looking in windows? I just don't think that's a, that's a, a, a judgment call that we, we get to make ethically. And the law would suggest that I'm right. If the law follows ethics, then, then certainly that's not legal. I'm not aware of any state, maybe Texas. I'm mostly not aware of any state where you can just randomly shoot at someone for, look, for looking through your window because that's clearly not a deadly threat. To your point, Matthew, great, let's, let's get our gun, let's check on the family, let's initiate protocol, let's follow the emergency plan, let's prep, let's prepare, let's, be, you know, let's, let's keep an eye on what's going on. Awesome for awesome modern surveillance video on these tools. Let's call 911. But let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah. And, and I know the argument, you know, people are thinking uh, to what you said, the argument is going to be, well, if he's outside and he's coming back and back and back, and this is, you know, multiple times he's here and he's looking outside, what could he have done? He could have climbed into my window or he could have done this. And absolutely, you're hundred percent right. He could have done a lot of things. He could have been armed. He could have been, you know, a lot of things, but what was he, you know, he, at that point, when you shot your gun at him. What was he? Not what he could have been, but what was he? Well, he was somebody who was looking through your window, period, um, and who hadn't, you know, breached your 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 home um, through the window. Um, you guys were safe. It wasn't like they were they were surrounding your your, your home and and there's people you know at every door trying to force their way in. All those all those things could happen, of course, but they didn't. And, or they weren't at that point. Um, and, you know, I know of so many times where, and in this case, it's probably because this guy's returned several times, but, you know, people get drunk and they wander around and they end up going to a house and they're looking in, trying to figure out if this is their house or this is their buddy's house that, you know, they crash at every once in a while. And so, you know, you have to be cautious about shooting at people and actually ensure that they are you can articulate that they're a threat. And, and, and if you watch the video um, with, with the homeowner, you know, he, he's calm and he, he's not like, you know, he doesn't 
kind of second guess. I would think that he doesn't come on, on TV and say, Hey, and maybe he contacted a lawyer and said, Hey, maybe you shouldn't, you know, admit that you think that you did something wrong, but he doesn't say, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that or anything. They interview a couple of neighbors and they're like, ah, you know, I, I, if, you know, I wouldn't have wanted him to get killed, but if he got injured, that would be okay. Um, so, like we get to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, the, the idea is that, you know, he didn't really think that he did anything wrong. And I, and I, apparently from the story and we don't know that there are no, there are no uh, charges pending with this guy. So, you know, maybe, you know, they're not going to say endangered anybody. Um, I don't know how close, you know, this home is to other areas or where he was shooting that maybe they couldn't articulate that, you know, him shooting through the window endangered anybody outside of the person he was shot at. But it it just, there's a lot of problems with shooting at somebody that you just, you you don't know. It's just an apparition or somebody on a surveillance camera or, or anything like that. And you can't articulate just very problematic. Yeah. It's worth watching the the video because you kind of get a sense for the tactics he used and what he did. And, uh, yeah, I, I'll give you just a quick, I know that we probably don't need to keep you know, belaboring the point, but I, I know someone who they had an issue where they, there was a peeping Tom and their, the peeping Tom was looking in their windows because they mistook their home with the neighbors. It turned out this peeping Tom had some crush on, you know, the 15 year old girl next door. And this 15 year old boy was looking in the neighbor's house, you know, being confused about where his crush lived. And what if you shot some 15-year-old kid? I mean, peeping Tom, yeah, problem. Like, that sucks. It's a problem. We should help that kid not be a peeping Tom. But it's just some 15-year-old idiot, you know, like just teenagers and morons. So anyway. And let me just take that one step further while we're on it. And that's a perfect example of this 15-year-old kid, you know, looking in the windows and things like that. I've responded. I responded specifically to a call, uh, 15-year-old kid breaks comes through a window of uh it's a um apartment complex or condo complex so everything looks the same right you, you, every, everything looks exactly the same well he's trying to sneak in in the middle of the night to what he believes is his girlfriend's house um through the, her window her bedroom window unfortunately he mixed up the homes or, or the condos and he's sneaking through the window of this old guy who happens to have a firearm and he shoots this 15 year old kid who comes through the window now, I mean, that's the next step, you know, that's the next, he didn't just shoot the kid because he was looking through the window. He shot the kid because he was actually inside his home. Now, like when he shot him, the kid fell into the home. That's how far he was. Um, and you know, the kid didn't end up dying. The the man felt very bad about it, you know, and that's some, the, the component you talked, talked about the morality aspect is this is something you have to live with for the rest of your life. And if that 15 year old kid would have died, you know, maybe, maybe you're going to second guess and say, well, maybe if I would have flipped on the light, I could have identified it. And he would have said, oh my God, I'm in the wrong place or whatnot. Um, you know, in the case that you were talking about, you know, if you shoot this kid and you kill a 15 year old kid, who's just, you know, he, he happens to look through the window or something, you're going to have to live with that. And, and, and so not as it, is it legally justified or not, we're talking about, is it morally or are, are morally, are you okay with that? You know? you've got to sleep at night. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Our last justified stories from KDVR.com. This is Fox 31 in Denver. They're lame enough to use their call letters for their website. Apparently Fox31.com must have been taken. So KDVR.com. Um, these guys have got a story here 
Headline, video shows 85-year-old grab wrench and defend 80-year-old brother from gunman. This story, this is a great video, by the way. This is, all this is cut on camera, so you should go and watch it in the show notes. But let me just break it down for you. You got a uh, 80-year-old guy. He's on a cane. He's walking around. Some guy comes up, accosts him. The BG is armed and tries to rob this dude. And dude's got like a couple bucks, like, like $300 or some ridiculously low amount of money. And uh, so while he's attempting to do this, the victim's brother, an 85-year-old man, older brother, because, you know, older brother is how they roll. He uh, grabs a wrench out of his car because he sees his brother is in trouble. Right? Oh, that dude's doing something to my brother. So he grabs the wrench and runs up and just whacks this dude. It's not enough to put him down, but it's enough to scare him. And they kind of dance around a car a little bit, like, we're on this side. we got this wrench, and you're on that side. You've got a gun. But eventually the BG decides, you know what, I just don't want to mess with these old farts. They only got three bucks anyway. And he runs. And uh, it's just a cool video to go watch. And it, I think there's a lot of good lessons to, to me for this. I mean, one is, you know, <laughs> I mean, if it's your brother, it's your brother, family, blood, right? Like, do what you got to do. But it certainly is a scary thing for this 85-year-old brother to, to think that ah, this dude's trying to rob my brother and he's got a gun. I'm going to rush in there with a the wrench. That sucks. That is bad tech. Like your, your odds of coming out positive on that one are not good. You have the element of surprise. And, you know, he tried to whack the suit. He just didn't, just didn't really connect right with the wrench or he might've had a better effect, but you know, that, that's a little bit scary. Yeah. And, and, but you know, at a certain point, your will to survive and your instincts of, Hey, it, I have to do some, I have to do something to save a life. Um, and whether it's, you know, I don't have a firearm, uh, I'm in England and I can't have a firearm or a knife. I got to pick up a wrench now. Um, if, and the reason why, even though this isn't a justified save using a firearm, I think it underscores a, a couple of things that we constantly harp on is that yes, there are areas that are gun-free zones that gun, concealed carriers have to go. And just because you are in a gun-free zone or an area that um, prohibits you from carrying a, a weapon, don't give, don't think that you are completely vulnerable. This is an 80-year-old guy or 85-year-old guy fighting with a wrench, uh, a, a guy with a with a gun. Don't ever give up um, your that your willingness to survive because you'd be amazed at uh, at what you can do. I mean, this this strikes as similar lines as, you know, think about the, the, during nine 11, all the, all the, you know, uh, planes that were flown into buildings because the people were compliant. Right. And then the one where they stand up and they fight against the guy. Yeah. They, they end up dying. Right. But they, they crash in a field rather than, you know, uh, Washington monument or wherever that one was heading to. But so, I mean, don't ever, don't ever give up your safety, no matter what no matter if you're in a you know a gun free zone and and you can't physically carry there because you're you're afraid that you'll be arrested or something um your willingness to to survive is so powerful um and so regardless of your age or what what you have in your hands um fight for your life because if you don't there the end is pretty inevitable right um so Great comments. Great comments. Go watch that video, guys. A really good one. That's it for us today. I think we held down the fort pretty well, despite rightly not being here. You know, like 
we, we covered the stories and we tried, right? Yeah. We came out the other side. So again, we appreciate everybody for listening. We get wonderful emails from you guys. We really appreciate it. I do have one quick thing I need to get off my chest. Uh, a week or two ago, Riley and I covered a story, a justified, we call it a justified story where uh, these men broke into this home and the wife was able to escape run to a neighbor's house. And while the BGs were in the home, a man came home uh, he arrived at the house. His wife was over at the neighbors now, but he arrived at the house, came in, and these guys, you know, smacked him across the head, make, made him open a gun safe, stole his guns, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we really, you know, kind of harped on this dude for not having his gun with him. And I had two different listeners email me and say, yo, like, I come home without a gun too because I'm not allowed to take it to work. I'm not even allowed to have it in my car on my way to and from work. So I'm a little sympathetic to this guy, you know, get off his case a little bit kind of thing. And, I was, and, and that was really, I just really appreciate those emails from those of you guys who sent those. Thank you very much. It's a very valid thought. I promise that in the future, we will do an episode dedicated to considerations relative to concealed carry if you're not allowed to have a gun with you at work. Because that is a common thing in America. I've had jobs since I've had a permit where I was not allowed to have a gun with me at work. And so I'm sympathetic and I think that's something worth covering. So stay tuned for a future episode on that one. Uh, with that, we appreciate you listening. If you would please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast via you know, Google Play or iTunes or something like that. We did have a recent issue with Google Play. So for those of you who are like, hey, I got my new episodes for a couple of days. We fixed that. You should be all set now. And uh, all, all is working. If you haven't already, please go into iTunes and leave us a review. You can't re- leave us a positive review in Google Play or anywhere else. iTunes is the only place you can review our podcast. So please set up an Apple account if you haven't already and go do that. We really appreciate it. It makes a big difference in terms of us getting new listeners. And for those of you who are headed to Kentucky this weekend, make sure you stop by our booth. We have a lot of good, cool stuff we're giving away for free. It's going to be awesome. And also make sure you check in on those rallies we talked about. That's all I got. Matthew, anything else from you, my friend? No, I'm just uh, excited to see you and uh, some of the listeners who uh, told me that they're going to come out to the expo. So I'm excited about that. Um, It's going to be fun. Yeah, super fun in Kentucky because, you know, Kentucky. All right, guys. So as we like to say, train right, train off, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. See you later, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.